Well, it is good to be back with you all this morning. And I'm, I'm seeing a, a few more people than were here last time. And uh, so you were spared last time. I'm going to be giving a, a similar message to the one I gave when I, I visited last time around. And uh, so I know you remember every word that I spoke the last time I was here. But I, I don't want you to be suspicious of my motives as we uh, study God's Word together again this morning. I'm not repeating this subject because I think there's something you're doing wrong. The, the reason that I'm repeating this subject this morning is because Jesus repeated this subject and because my own soul needs to meditate on these truths and consider their, their consequences uh, another thing, this subject, it's, it's kind of personal to me because the Christianity that I've been to, exposed to for much of my life rarely, if ever, addressed the subject I'm going to be speaking on. And the consequences for ignorance or misunderstanding on this issue are eternal and they are grave. So we need to give attention to this issue, this subject that Jesus addresses repeatedly and talks about for the sake of our own souls. I want you to think about your experience as well. When someone has expressed a desire to become a follower of Christ, when somebody maybe has indicated, I want to become a Christian, what are they told? What were you told about becoming a Christian? I heard things like this. Pray the sinner's prayer. You pray the prayer, you get saved, you become a Christian. Other times I heard things like this. Make a profession of faith and get baptized. How about this? If you want to become a Christian, walk the aisle Go forward at the end of service, right? There's an altar call. You go forward, you're in. Or maybe specifically with children, I've heard this, ask Jesus into your heart. Now, I don't think the people who have said these things are, are evil or malicious in their intent. I think they are very well-meaning. In fact, I'm thankful for the people God has placed in my life uh, who have prayed for me that I would come to Christ. God answered that prayer. I'm, I'm thankful for people that I have heard say these things. The only issue with those things is that Jesus never, and I'm not exaggerating, Jesus never said anything like that when inviting people to become his Followers. In the verses we're studying this morning, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, two men are going to come up to Jesus and they're going to express a desire to become his follower. And what Jesus tells them, how he responds to them, is so radically different from anything I've experienced. And it's quite shocking. His responses to these two men call for a much more demanding commitment than what much of my Christian experience has, has told me. 
So I want to invite you to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 8. We are going to be studying verses 18 through 22. However, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read all 22 verses so we can check Bible reading off the list for the day. Amen? Just kidding. Don't do that. I want you to see the big picture here. What's going on and why is Jesus saying what he's saying in these verses we're going to study? So chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus is coming down from the mountain, great crowds following him. So Jesus has just given the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. He's a, he's a great teacher, isn't he? Um, and he's doing some pretty amazing things. Watch this, verse 2. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Don't tell anybody about this. Why would he say that? But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, the other side of the the lake. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples, one who was tagging along, not necessarily a disciple in the sense of following him yet, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury 
their own dead. Okay. Can you remember in your Christian experience anybody expressing a desire to become a follower of Christ and hearing a response like this? The passage starts in kind of a a curious way in verse 18. Jesus looks around and he sees a large crowd gathering around him. Now, you would think, if if you're Jesus, this is what you want, right? You want a big crowd. How does Jesus respond? He tells his disciples, let's leave. Let's get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. Why would he do that? Well, remember, what's drawing the crowds? We we read all 22 verses. Why are people interested in Jesus at this point? He's healed a leper, healed a paralyzed person with just his word. He has uh, raised up a person with a fever. He's, He's cast out demons. He's healing the sick. So people are gathering around Jesus, not necessarily because they want to become disciples or followers committed to him, but rather they're thinking, hey, maybe if he is the Messiah, he's going to make things good right here, right now. Maybe he's going to heal me. Maybe, Maybe he'll make things easier for us. And people kind of still do that now, don't we? We have expectations of Jesus. Well, if I follow him, then he's, he's going to make my life better. We, we talked about peace this morning. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He will give us peace. But if you tell somebody, follow Jesus, he will give you peace. What they hear is, if I follow Jesus, my life's going to be smooth. It's going to go well. Jesus doesn't exist just to relieve me from my problems. Jesus doesn't exist just to make my life better. And his response here, leaving the crowd and giving these responses, shows that he's interested in something more than than our mere interest in him. He's interested in more than, than having a big crowd who wants to watch him do some cool things. What Jesus wants most are disciples, people who have made a commitment to him. That's what he's after. He's not after the most amount of people in the room at one time that he can get. He's interested in you committing your whole life to him in raising up an army of people who will then go make disciples of all nations. I want to be very careful about this. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So when Jesus looks at that crowd, he wants them all to be saved and become his disciples. But what he values most is not gaining a following, but getting followers. 
There's a, another incident that's similar in, in John chapter 6. And the reason that I'm, I'm bringing this up, I just want you to see this happened more than once. In fact, I would encourage you to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and maybe just skim through them and look at the times there's a big crowd around Jesus and how he responds. It's really interesting. Another example is in John chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously. And you know, you know what happens when you have food, right? You know, cook it and they will come. I have a, a Southern Baptist background, and I'll tell you what, you would show up one Sunday, there's a lot of people here today. What's going on? Oh, the fellowship dinner's afterwards. All right. Huge crowd of people around Jesus in John chapter 6. Here's what he says to them in verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, the only reason that you're around me is because of the food. Not because you saw something that pointed to who I really am, and you see me as worthy of committing your life to. And in that instance, he left them and went somewhere else. So Jesus does that again here. Many people crowding around him, but his purpose is not to gain admirers or to get a big crowd of people to watch him. His purpose is to make disciples. So he is leaving. When these two men, the scribe and and the other guy, approach him, and he lays out the commitment involved with following him. Because they needed to understand, if they really wanted to be his disciple, it would require a complete commitment to Jesus. The same is true for us. You need to understand the commitment that's involved if you want to become a follower of Jesus. You need to understand it and you need to accept it. Yes, salvation is a free gift, hallelujah, by God's grace. I can't earn it. You can't earn it. But the commitment to follow Jesus in faith is demanding. If you or I or our kids or anybody else really wants to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to understand and accept the commitment that is required. So what Jesus is doing in these verses is clarifying what commitment is involved in becoming his disciple. And our study, I'm just going to give you two points, right? So one guy comes up and says something, Jesus responds. That's one point. Another guy comes up, says something to Jesus, he responds. That's point two. So just follow with me. If you want to jot this down, that's where we're going. So first, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to understand, you need to be willing to accept the cost of the commitment. That's the first point. If you really want to follow Jesus, you need to be willing to accept the cost of the commitment. That's the scribe, verse 19. A scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. It sounds like he gets the commitment, but... Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
That, that just throws me for a loop. <laughs> I mean, this guy is a scribe. They, they were viewed highly. They were students of the Old Testament, very knowledgeable. This guy would potentially be very influential for Jesus' cause, one of the religious leaders of the Jews. And he says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. This is a good prospect. He is eager in his, his pledge, at least. What I would expect Jesus to say from my experience with Christianity is, welcome aboard. Let's go. Fill out this card. But instead, Jesus makes a really weird statement about foxes and birds and him not having a place to lay his head. What's Jesus doing here? Well, this scribe just pledged his commitment without actually understanding what is involved. And the word that I'm using to describe it is cost. Salvation is free. Amen? Following Jesus costs. Is that an amen too? (laughs) Here's what I think Jesus is, is kind of doing here. I would compare it to this. This is a good time of the year to talk about it. New Year's resolutions, right? Are we going to make some? It's really easy to say, all right, this year I'm going to lose 50 pounds or fill in the blank with how many pounds. I'm going, that's my desire, that's my commitment. Do you realize what that costs? All right, first, you got to get a grip on your diet, right? So you need to research what kinds of foods you need to be eating, right? We probably know the the food pyramid that we've all been taught, right? The fruits and, and vegetables, the lean meats, the whole grains. Well, have you been to the grocery store and seen how much those things cost in comparison with the things that are unhealthy for you. They're more expensive. It costs. All right, and then you can't just have the groceries in the cupboard and in the refrigerator, right? Because Monday night or Tuesday night, whatever night it is, it rolls around, you're tired, and you're like, let's just order a pizza. No, you've got to have a plan now, right? So I got the groceries. I spent the more money on them. Now I've got to have a plan for what I'm going to eat each day. Oh, and by the way, you probably, if you're serious about losing X amount of weight, you probably need to log your calories, right? Oh, and then, what, the third week of January? Maybe if you're stronger-willed than I am, you get into February, you drive by Sonic or McDonald's or whatever it is, and everything within you yearns for that. Got to say no. And that's just food intake. Then we get into exercise, right? If you're really serious, if you really are serious about this commitment, it's going to cost you time and exercise, right? And does exercise feel good? No. Does it make you sore, tired? Yes. I'd rather sit on the couch and watch TV. So I'm going to lose X amount of weight. Are you sure? (laughs) Are you willing to pay the cost? And Jesus is saying, to the scribe, of course he knows his heart. Okay, you'll follow me wherever I go. Do you understand the cost? I have nowhere to lay my head. Animals, (laughs) they have a more comfortable place than I do. 
are you willing to give up earthly comforts to come after me, to get in this boat right now, to go see the people I'm going to go see, to preach the word I'm going to preach? Are you willing to face opposition from your buddies, the Pharisees who want to kill Jesus, right? You willing to lose those, those friends? He's telling the scribe, you need to understand what you're saying. And you need to count the cost. Yeah, salvation is free. The following Jesus, it costs. Just a, another reference, you can look it up later. That would be Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 34, where Jesus actually says the words, count the cost. You don't build something without first sitting down and going, okay, what's going to cost to build this? And Jesus says, it's the same with following me. What's it going to cost? Now, let me just ask you, how many altar calls have you heard like that? How many invitations have you heard like that? I mean, this guy says, I want to be a follower of yours. Jesus said, fine, count the cost. Understand it. There's also something uh, subtle that's going on here. You may not recognize it just by reading it with the naked eye. But take a closer look here. Notice, what does the scribe call Jesus? What, how does he address him? He says, teacher. Now, this is subtle, but it's there. In the Gospel of Matthew, if you wanted to look this up, note in the Gospel of Matthew, anytime Jesus is addressed as teacher, and that title is only on the lips of people like the Pharisees and others who have no real interest in following Jesus. He doesn't see really who Jesus is and why he is worthy of the cost that it's going to require to follow him. And notice what Jesus calls himself. What does Jesus say in response? The Son of Man. Any Jewish person would immediately go in their minds to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Son of Man is a title for, for not just the human Messiah, but the exalted Christ. Here's those verses. I'll just share them with you. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that will not be destroyed. Teacher? A great teacher, but much more. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you need to have an accurate understanding of who he really is if you're going to accept the cost to follow him. He is worthy. Whatever it might cost you of, in terms of earthly comforts in this life, whatever it might cost you to follow him, he is worthy because he is the son of man. And yes, we're going to celebrate his, his first coming, his incarnation this season. But guess what? He's coming again, isn't he? 
Not, not as a baby, but as the ruling king to whom all will bend their knee and confess with their mouth with the one in ultimate authority. All will serve him. That's, that's who he is. So if you see that is who he really is, then be willing to pay the cost to follow him. Are you willing to be unpopular if necessary to follow Jesus? Are, are you willing to be uncomfortable if necessary to follow Jesus? One Bible teacher put it this way, potential disciples often long for the glory associated with following Jesus and forget the deprivation that may often precede it. Are you willing to be deprived of earthly things to follow him? Because Jesus wants us all in this room. He wants all people to understand there is a cost. And you need to be willing to accept that if you are going to become a disciple of Jesus. Boy, this is so significant for churches in general, Christians in general. We might be tempted to make it easier to accept the gospel by watering down the message or lowering the demands of following Christ. Again, we're often well-intentioned. We, we want to see as many people as possible come to Jesus, right? But we have to be willing, like Jesus was, to see a potential disciple like this scribe turn down the message in order to truly communicate what is involved in the commitment. And the truth is, if somebody accepts a, a watered-down gospel or if they aren't accurately informed of the nature of following Jesus, it does them no good. It is not loving. It might actually give them the idea they're saved when in reality all they wanted was Jesus to make their life easier and they didn't actually commit to him or you've seen this. You, you have people who are all excited. Maybe they, they walked the aisle. They filled out the card. They got baptized, whatever the case is. And then life gets hard. And what do they do? You don't see them anymore, do you? They weren't willing to pay the cost, and they weren't told, here's what it means to follow. This, Jesus doesn't promise to give you your best life now. In fact, he promises that if you follow him, it's going to cost you earthly comforts. And again, the reason that we're motivated to do so, the reason that we don't see that as a, a big trade-off is because we recognize him for who he is. So we need to tell people who the Son of Man is in all his glory, how worthy he is to be followed. And then we need to accurately explain to them, now listen, if you really want to do this, Here's what's involved. Here's the commitment. And as we do that, we'll be following Jesus' example and making disciples who are willing to accept the cost of the commitment to follow him. So Jesus makes it pretty clear to the scribe, doesn't he? And then he makes it clear to the, the other gentleman here. 
Not only do you need to accept the, the cost of the commitment, but also you need to be willing to accept the priority of this commitment. That's our second point. You must be willing to accept the priority of the commitment, the commitment to follow Christ. So verses 21 and 22, it says, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, it's better than teacher, right? Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But let me unpack it. Jesus has just touched a leper, someone who is untouchable. I think he's compassionate. Don't you agree? He doesn't lack for compassion. But here's what's going on. It says, another of his disciples. Again, this is not saying that he has actually made the commitment to be a follower of Jesus. It's saying that Jesus has a group of people who are following him around. They're not followers. They're part of the following, watching what he's doing, having some kind of desire to be affiliated with him. But he wants to negotiate the terms, right? He calls them Lord, and then, in a twist of irony, tells them what the terms ought to be. That's not how it works with a Lord, is it? There's something that's keeping this man from following Jesus at that moment, a priority that he is putting before following Jesus. Some Bible teachers say that actually the, the man wanted to wait until his father died. So they're saying the dad wasn't actually dead yet. He wanted to wait until the father died, and it could be years down the road, and that his motive was to wait until he died so he could get his inheritance. So that, that might be what's going on here. Certainly there were, there were customs in that day that people followed in that time, and, and maybe he wanted to wait until... That was done so he wouldn't lose out on that inheritance. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to help. We don't know for sure. I don't want to assume motives. But here's the point. He's trying to dictate to Jesus the terms and conditions of his discipleship. He's, he's trying to keep a priority that he already has above the priority of following Jesus now. And does Jesus give him that option? No. No. I, I, I would compare it to this. Let's say you, you see a job opening that's really appealing to you, and it says the start date, immediate. Right? So you meet with them. Everything's good. They offer you the job. Great. Oh, but give me a few weeks because I need to sort this out. I need to do this. I need to do that. And then I'll start. Is, is that the way it works? Do you get to dictate the terms? So why do we think we will be able to dictate the terms of our discipleship when it comes to the king of the universe? Yes, Jesus, I'll commit to following you as long as I don't need to change my current priorities. Is that the way it works? No, Jesus says you have to change your priorities if you're going to follow me. In fact, your fundamental priority in life is following him. That's the commitment. 
If you want to come to Christ in faith, you want to be his follower, the commitment is making him the new priority of your life. That's what's involved. And Jesus, he's a master at at using statements that stick. I think that's what's going on here. Let the dead bury their own dead. There are other times where Jesus says things like, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Uh, Even in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Right? I don't see anybody here that has done that. So what's Jesus doing? He's, he's using the most strong language possible to make a point. And I think that's the point here. He's not saying forget about your family. He's not saying don't help out with the funeral. In fact, one way you could say this, uh, Bible scholars think he's using a play on words, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. In other words, don't be distracted by earthly concerns at the expense of following Jesus. Obviously, this man wasn't willing to prioritize his commitment to Christ, and he even said so. He said, let me first go bury my father. That's the issue. What comes first? Again, in the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to to not be anxious about what we'll eat, drink, and wear, right? Don't be anxious about those earthly concerns. And then Matthew 6.33, some of you have that memorized. Seek what? First, the kingdom and his righteousness. That's what Jesus is doing here. What comes first? What's the priority? What gets pushed to the front And what gets put on the back burner? We might be tempted to say, okay, Jesus, yeah, yeah, I'm going to put you first, but I've got all these commitments. I'm sure you understand. It's not how it works. Jesus, following him, that is the priority if you want to be his follower. I don't know about you, but... uh, To me, it seems like the the age we live in, there is so much stuff to be busy with, isn't there? There's so many activities. Of course, COVID has had something to say about that, but prior to COVID, maybe after COVID, there are so many activities you can involve yourself with. If you're not clear on your priorities in life, you, you can be running every different direction. And the issue is, if you're not obedient to Jesus in the priorities that you keep, or rather, if following him isn't the priority that all the others fall under, then we got to ask, am I really following Jesus? Am I really his disciple? I used to get, as a youth minister, I would hear from time to time, well, so-and-so is not going to be able to be involved in, in uh, this because he's got this or she's got that. I just want to say, well, what's the priority? I never had the guts to say that. (laughs) What's the priority? And not that church attendance is the only measurement of that, but but listen, if, if you're involving yourself in all these other commitments, pursuits, activities, and neglecting to follow Jesus Christ in fellowship and worship with his body, 
serving other people, you know, even making relationships with non-Christians in order to proclaim the gospel to them. If you're not involving yourself in those things, you've got to ask, who am I following? What's my priority? Am I really a disciple of Jesus? Certainly there are times in my life, I'm going to assume the same for you, our commitment ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Maybe even on a daily, if not hourly basis, we, it ebbs and it flows. And I don't think Jesus says in order to be saved, you've got to be perfect in how you prioritize him, perfect in the commitment you keep. And yet at the same time, this is his call. If you really want Jesus, you need to be willing to make him first in your life. And though we might be inconsistent at that, that is the direction that we're going in life. What's most important to you? What priorities do you keep? I like the way that one pastor said it. Anything held more dearly than Christ is a barrier to Christ and will stand between the unsaved person and Christ. What do I hold most dearly in life? Well, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, be his disciple, I must hold him most dearly. I'm getting ready to, to wrap this up here. Just want to say a couple of things to conclude. Just for you personally, I don't know how you first expressed your desire to become a follower of Jesus Maybe you walked an aisle. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you asked Jesus into your heart. Certainly the people who were urging us in that way were, were well-meaning, and, and certainly doing those things can be fine. But Jesus makes clear this morning that is not what he's calling for. He's calling for a commitment to him that is costly and must be the priority of your life. You need to understand that and be willing to make that commitment if you want to be his disciple. And even then, as his disciples, we are daily and maybe even hourly, moment by moment, renewing and refreshing that commitment to him, aren't we? Amen? By God's grace and by the, the powerful working of his spirit within us. Second thing I would say in conclusion, maybe as Christians, we need to reconsider the invitations that we are giving to others regarding becoming a Christian. Jesus commissions his followers at the end of the Gospel of Matthew to do what? Go make disciples of all nations. Making disciples of Jesus is the commission not to coerce decisions or to get crowds whipped up emotionally. Make disciples of Jesus. And the way Jesus himself did that was to show people who he was in all his greatness and then to explain clearly the commitment involved when becoming his. So I would say in closing, for his glory and for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of the souls, our own souls and those around us, let's do the same. If it's what Jesus did, and it was,
if it's how he went about making disciples, and it was, do we think we should be doing anything differently? Let's follow him, being and making disciples. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful that as I have personally studied these verses, you have challenged my own soul. And I I am thankful that we are able to see clearly in, in these words that you preserved in Scripture what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I know, Father, there's, there's nobody who cares more about souls than you. And so, Father, I, I pray now that for each of us in this room, we would come to the place where we understand and accept what following Jesus means. That we'd accept the cost, that we'd accept the, the priority of this commitment, that we would be more and more faithful by your grace to live that commitment out in our daily lives. And Father, I pray for the advancement of your kingdom, that you would make us accurate gospel spokesmen and women, and that as we are brought opportunities by your spirit to present Christ and invite people to follow him, please help us to do so in the same manner that he did in his earthly life and ministry. Father, we trust your your grace will be given us as we go. We depend on it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.